Okay, if you, you ever heard of the sin of silence? The sin of silence. You probably have. If you haven't heard of it, you're going to recognize it. It's, it's not saying the things you need to say. It's not taking the stand that you need to take. And in my opinion, the church has, has been guilty of the sin of silence when it comes to sex. We, we have just not talked about it. And, and I, it was funny in the first service, it, especially at first, how you could tell when we started talking about sex, uh, you know, most of the people in that service were a little bit older, and then there was tension, there was nervousness, there was fiddling. Uh, it, it was interesting because we don't talk about it. Uh, I grew up going to church three times a week as, as a young person in a Baptist church, and my parents were very well educated, and they were good parents, but here was the sex talk they had with me. They got little tracks about sex, and they laid them around the house hoping we would pick them up and read them. And, uh, and of course, we learned about sex, but we learned about it from all the wrong places, correct? Correct? Okay, maybe you went to a sexy church, but most churches have not been, have not been that way. So what we're going to do the next, at least the next three weeks, we're going to talk about sex. Today, we're going to talk about positive foundations of sex. Next week, we're going to talk about some not-so-positives, but look for good solutions. And then we're going to talk about homosexuality, the hottest potato there is today uh, on the market. 1 Corinthians 7, if you have your Bibles. And let's begin with this, and this really is good. Sex is God's idea. How many of you ever thought of that? Who invented sex? It had to be Hollywood. It was Hugh Hefner. It was MTV, right? No. God was the one who invented sex. Now, right off the bat, doesn't that make sex in itself a good thing? Amen? Doesn't that just humor me? Say amen. It does. If God invented it, it is a good thing. Starting in verse 1. Verse 1 is a peculiar verse. It says, now for, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Now, I love how the King James Version, read this on the screen. Now, concerning the things wherefore you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, that's probably what I heard about sex growing up is don't touch them. Don't touch them. That was the extent of premarital counseling or whatever. Now, what's going on here? What, what, what is he saying? And the idea there of touch is talking in a sexual way. Why is Paul saying that it's good not to be married? Well, context is everything. And apparently, Paul had received a list of questions from the church in Corinth. He, he says, for the matters you wrote about. The problem is we don't have a, a list of those questions. And he's trying to answer them. At, at this particular time in the city in the area of Corinth, they were under a lot of persecution as Christians. There was a severe famine in the land. And, and so what he's saying to them, he's saying, if you're single right now, he's telling them in that context, stay single. At least for this period, if you're married, don't try to get a divorce, get out of it. Be married. Now, he does also go on throughout this chapter, and he talks about that being single is, is, is a good thing for some people. In fact, he talks about basically having the gift of singleness that a person, some people aren't supposed to be married. That, and, and that's fine. That's good. It's almost like today we've made it that you've got to get married, uh, and, and that's not the truth. The Bible says that some people are gifted and called to be single. But then he jumps into marriage, verse 2 and 3. But since there is so much immorality among you, you should have your own wife and each woman her own husband. 
The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body doesn't belong to her and the man's body does not belong to him. Now, Paul, again, it almost sounds like he's making marriage a concession. You, you can't control your sexual desire, so get married. But if you read the other things that God says through Paul, like in Ephesians 5, he compares marriage to Christ in the church. He lifts it up. He gives marriage a very high, a high value. So he is not downgrading marriage here. Again, it's the context. But you see when he talks about sex, uh, he, he gives it some good ideas. In Genesis chapter 2, Look at these verses. This is the very beginning. For the reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Folks, from the very beginning, part of creation and God's idea uh, was, was sex. And you read the book of Song of Solomon. It's a little book. Some, it, it's sometimes called the Song of Songs. Song of, Song of Solomon right there uh, around Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It's a... It's a book about marital sex. Sex is and was God's idea. Right off the bat, that makes it a good thing. In James chapter 1, it says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Sex is and was God's idea. Now, here's the second thing. Sex, in God's view, has a limited, very limited context. Now, that's that's pretty important, too. Now, here's what Here's what in recent years, and I'm sure this has been going on forever, but the idea was if it feels good, do it. Or here's what I've heard a lot through the years. If two people are adults and they want to do it, what business is it of yours? Well, unless you're a leader in this church or or, or a member, it's, it's not my business, period. But what God's saying here, though, is sex just a matter of if it feels good, do it, or is it if two people are adults and they agree and it's, is it cool? Well, that's not exactly what God says. In fact, that's specifically not what God says. In verse 15 through 19 of chapter 6, he says, Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with the Lord in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his body. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. We're going to look at this in more detail next week. What does sexual immorality mean? It's a pretty broad word. It could be fornication. Fornication is two people who aren't married having sex. It's adultery. That's a married person have sex with someone that uh, is not their spouse. It would certainly be incest. It would be homosexuality. So it's a broad pornography. It's a broad concept here. And, and what God is saying, again, to go to verse 2 and 3, Since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I won't read verse 3, but it basically says, and they are to take care of the sexual need of the other one in marriage. What God says is that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Sex is between a man and a woman who are married. In marriage, in Mark chapter 6, verse 15 through 19, listen to Mark 10, excuse me, this is what Jesus says. 
But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Okay? What's marriage? I mean, what's sex in God's eyes? What's God-approved sex life? It's a man and a woman who are married. That is the sexual content text, the sexual boundaries that God has laid out. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's look at our, our third principle today. Sex in this context sh- is to be wonderful. It is to be wonderful. Now, this is where people in church get funny. I had, I had older people last week saying, well, you know, we're a little bit past this. And certainly there's people watching uh, and, and are here today that, that, that aren't at this point in their life. Either they're before it or they're after it. I'm going to tell you a funny sex joke. Now, don't get too nervous. This came from Andy Johnson. How many of you know Andy Johnson? Okay, if Andy tells a sex joke, Jesus himself could be in the room and would laugh, okay? Now, I actually had some people sharing sex jokes with me last Sunday night, some of our church members. They weren't vulgar, but they were just, they weren't pulpit worthy. You know what I'm saying? They, they just didn't kind of rise up to the standard. But here's what, here, here's Andy's story. Years ago, there was a hymn sing in a church. How many of you ever been to a hymn sing? Normally what that means is the preacher hadn't studied, so he feels led for the music guy to carry the load that night, right, Wayne? And so what what they would do in this night is is you would stand up, someone would stand up, and they would say a a religious word. Someone might stand up and say, faith. And so the ministry of music said, okay, let's sing, standing on the promises of God. And then someone over here from the, the college department stood up and said, love. And so we, they sang the, the tie that binds. Love is the tie that binds. And then there was a teenager in the back. This is why we stop those sex, uh, sex, those hymn sings. Sex sings, hymn sings. Because somebody's always going to do something goofy, right? And a teenager hollers out the word sex. Well, the minister of music begins to have a panic attack. And, of course, in the hymn book, there's nothing about sex. And everybody is fiddling, and they're nervous, and they're upset. And finally, a little lady sitting down front hollers out, Let's sing Precious Memories. (laughs) That's an old religious song, if you don't know that. Okay. Sex in the context that God's laid out should be wonderful. Now, listen, listen, here's what Christians believe. We've been told nothing about sex, or we've been told it's dirty, it's wrong, don't do it. And so people get married, and they're like, men have got ideas that their wives do not have, and it doesn't go well. So let me lay out some biblical principles that God says that make sex wonderful. These aren't original with me. One, they come in the Bible. I read a lot. I've read some from a book. I'm not endorsing this guy because he is kind of controversial, but Mark Driscoll's written a book on marriage, and some of the thoughts he says about sex here that I think are very good, I have incorporated them with me. What should sex in the context of marriage, what are some things about it? Let me give you six things. These aren't uh, all, you know, the, uh, everything, but these are six great things. One, it's procreation. This is God's intention for the family. Genesis one twenty-eight. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fulfill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea 
and the birds of the air and over every living creature. Now, now, folks, some Christians have said the only reason that you have sex is to have babies. Can you understand how that would be problematic at age 42? I, you know, that becomes a problem. So it's a wonderful aspect of it, but it is not the only aspect. Here's the second thing. Sex is for intimacy. It is for intimacy. Folks, in the New Testament... The New Testament was written in Greek, and they have several words for the word know, to know someone. There's knowing someone in a surface way, but there's also knowing someone in an experiential way. And when you become a Christian, you move from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, to knowing him experientially. And it's interesting in the New Testament, the same word for sex, and certainly there's nothing vulgar or weird about our relationship with Christ on that, but it's to know Christ uh, experientially, but it's to know your husband or your wife intimately and experientially. Again, back to chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16, don't you know your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? The two became one flesh. Do you see the intimacy there? And then you go to verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. That's the negative. All other sins are outside of the body, but when you sin sexually, you sin with your body. But it's the positive part of that. When you're, when you're having sex in your marriage, that, that is an act that you do with your body. There's, there's nothing more intimate than that. And now I'm going to talk about this next week. See, here's how we have messed up so bad. It's we've lifted up the, the playboys and the studs and, 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 you know, and, the, and the women who are wild and all that. You were not meant to be intimate with 50 people, sexually intimate. It, 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 doesn't, it messes you up. You're meant to be intimate with one person. And, you know, obviously if something happens with that person, but it's still very limited. But that's one of the beautiful things about sex is that sex, sex not only is where in, in marriage is where babies are to come from, it's, it creates great in, intimacy. Here's the third thing. It's great oneness. It creates a oneness. Certainly that goes with intimacy. In verse 16 again, don't you know that when you unite with someone, a prostitute, you are one with her in the body. But that's also true about your husband or wife. That, that there is a oneness in Genesis 2.24. He says, for the reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, they become one flesh. That one flesh is, means more than sex, but it certainly means sex. And that when, when one of the things God intended about sex was that, that it to be wonderful and that you have an intimacy and a oneness that's not experienced anywhere else. I read an article this week that talked about some of the biochemical things that go on in your mind during sex and your, your body. And one of them is there is a neurotransmitter called oxytocin that is, is associated with attachment in humans, with mamas and babies. And when, when, when a couple's having sex, that is actually released in your system. Think about that. God's pretty cool, isn't he? God, God wants that relationship to be super unique, and, and, and it is so that, that you, even, you have biological reactions in your body that are meant to increase the attachment. Some of you couples, you're going to end up divorced if your sex life doesn't get better. 
for a lot of reasons, but one reason, man, you, you don't have that oneness and that intimacy. Sex in God's context is great because it creates a oneness. Here's a fourth thing, and this makes Christians uncomfortable. God gave us sex for pleasure. Wait a second, preacher. Church isn't supposed to be fun. Christians aren't supposed to enjoy things, right? How many of you have been to a church and you felt like you were at a funeral? You know, one reason I ran from Christians for a long time is because they were so unhappy. I'd go to a bar and everybody was having fun. I was around a bunch of Christians. It was like, oh, my goodness. If I give my life to Jesus, I won't go to hell then, but I'll have to live in it now. (laughs) Folks, pleasure is not evil. Every good and great gift comes from who? It comes from God. That includes pleasure. And yes, sex is pleasurable, and that's how God intended for it to be. That's one of the reasons he gave it to us. In verse 3 through 5, the husband should fulfill the marital duty to, to his wife, and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife's body is not hers. His body is not his. Don't deprive each other unless it's with a mutual agreement. Again, you read that little book, The Song of Solomon, what you would see is that it's not a story about Israel. It's a story about men and women, husband and wife, and their romantic relationship. And that one of the gifts God's given us is sex, and one of the good things about it is pleasure. Another article I read this week, it said during sex that there is a chemical response in your brain that's like being on opium, And one doctor said that short of a shot of heroin into your veins, it is the most pleasurable experience a person can have. And God gave us that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? God don't start saying something. We'll go back to tithing. I mean, just like that. (laughs) I know that sermon, too. I can do it. Okay, if you're taking notes... God gave us sex for pleasure. And yes, that is a church you are hearing this in. Here's the fifth thing, for protection. For protection. How does sex protect? How does it protect? Well, in verse 5, don't deprive each other except by mutual consent and only for a time that you can devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Folks, the word deprive there literally means to defraud someone. It means to hold back from someone something that is theirs. It's to cheat someone out of something that is there. Isn't that a powerful word? How many of you know who Rose Kennedy was? Rose Kennedy, who was her most famous son? JFK was her most famous son. You know, Rose, Rose and her husband Joe had like 18 kids, had a lot of kids. But it is said that she believed sex was just for procreation, just to have kids. Well, old man Kennedy, her husband Joe, was a serial philanderer. And I am not at all justifying his behavior, but you know, if that was her philosophy, when he got about 43 or 4, their sex life was over. And for most men, it's not over then. And, And here's what the Bible says. I'm not saying this. God says this. I don't believe there's any reason ever to justify cheating on your husband or wife. Never a reason. But what God says is sex protects your marriage. Because your husband and your wife 
we're built to have sex. Most of the time, the men are built more for it. Amen? In Tennessee, we were, I guess. I thought I'd have more problems in the early service. You guys are driving me crazy. Okay. So you say, you know, I, I just, I, I'm going to withhold from my wife. Or I'm going to withhold from my husband. That's okay. Here's what God says. You are setting your spouse up for failure. It's never going to justify it. But a couple, man and woman, are built for sex. And when you don't allow that to happen often in your marriage, you're setting it up for failure. Okay? You don't believe me, we'll set up an anonymous call line and I'll let men call in this week and give their thoughts on that. And they'll all agree. It's for protection. Here's the last thing. It's for comfort. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If you've hurt much, if you've grieved, you'll agree and you're married. In 2 Samuel 12, 24, David's little son had died. And it says, David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. That's a politically nice way of saying they had sex. And she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. You know, one of the beautiful things about marriage and about sex and marriage is that that it, it creates that intimacy and that oneness that nothing else can. And that there's times when words are, are therapy or whatever is not just not enough. And, and, and that God has actually given us sex as a way to comfort each other. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? So here's what I want to challenge you today. I, I want to challenge you two things. To seek to have a God-approved and wonderful sex life. A God-approved and wonderful sex life. One more time, verse 2 through 5. Since there's so much sexual sin among you, you need to have your own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband needs to take care of his wife. The wife needs to take care of her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her. But alone, but to also to her husband in the same way the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. Don't deprive each other except for a short season by mutual consent that you can devote yourself to prayer. Then come back together so Satan won't get in and wreck your marriage. Several years ago, six, seven years ago, I preached this passage and I had some women come up to me after church and they were joking, I think. And they said, we think we found a new way we're going to fast. The sex fast. Notice, ladies, it does say by mutual consent. Keep that in mind. Okay, I promise you, 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 you young people, you young people in the beach, sex is crucial to your marriage. The men in this room are way too cowardly to amen or to clap or anything like that. But in their hearts, in the depths, that they're smiling at me. I see them, they're smiling. They're saying, preach it, preach it, preach it. Bring it, bring it, bring it. <laughs> But we're not charismatic, so we're not going to get excited here ever. Jesus came back. Hey, now don't tune me out, ladies. When you get married, your body belongs to your husband too. Men... 
Your body belongs to her, too. Now, when this was said 2,000 years ago, it was radical because women had no rights. If the man said, go to the room, take your clothes off, I'll be there in five minutes, it had to happen. And then men could go out and they could have sex with prostitutes or slaves or anybody. It was okay. God came in and changed all that. God said, look, when you got married, if you're going to do it God's way, God's first, and then your spouse. Isn't that radical? And then you. And so, ladies, when you use sex as a weapon, oh, that's so bad. If you do this, this, and this, we might next month. You know, that is not good. Now, men, we're just as creepy. We can be mean to them all day, and then we can say, hey, baby, come here. And that's just not how women are. You've got to groom a little bit, you know. You've got you to be nice. Men say amen to that. But God put this in the Bible for a reason, and we've avoided it. And we let everybody else teach our kids and us about sex, and that's why we're so messed up today. I want to challenge you to have a great sex life. Have a great sex life. You see, we grew up in church, and we heard it's wrong and it's dirty, and so we we get married, and then we, man, a lot of times people never get it right. Never get it right. Several years ago, you may remember this, Ed Young Jr., who's a pastor of Fellowship Church in, Houston, uh, in, in Dallas, he, he did this to his church. He called it the seven-day challenge. How many of you heard the, about this? Where he challenged the people in the church. I actually had someone tell me in the first service, you should have had them come to the altar. No. Married couples to have sex every day for seven days. This freaked people out. He was on late-night TV shows. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. He was on these different shows being interviewed because the world could not believe Christians were actually encouraging their church members to have sex. You need to have a great sex life. Ladies, this is not ugly for me to say this. Your husband wants to see you naked. And it's okay. Isn't it okay? I remember before I got married, almost with tears in my eyes, I asked one of my pastor's friends, can I lust after my own wife? He said, it ain't lusting if it's yours, brother. Isn't that good? (laughs) It's lusting when it's yours and I'm looking, right? But isn't that good? Ladies, cover it up around everybody else. You say, well, I'm ashamed of my body. Men, you ought to love her body more than anybody else's in the world. Amen? Ladies, he may not be much to look at him, but for whatever reason, you married him. Love his body, too. My wife will ask me, is that guy cute? I have no idea what a cute guy is. I think I'm cute and everybody else is ugly. That's my... Me and Bernard are good looking. Everybody else... Guys, that is. Y'all are ugly. You know, I'm being funny, but I'm telling you the truth. Women, don't be bashful to your husband. If you're just married, I understand it takes time. But men are so visual, and we don't need to be tempted to look at a magazine or the computer screen. We need to look at you. We need to, you need to look at us. We need to find that joy and that pleasure in each other. I, I, I say this jokingly, but I think it's the truth, too. When Adam and Eve realized they were naked in the garden, Adam wasn't upset. 
think about that. But that was okay. That was okay. I challenged you last week to start giving 10% or more to your church and then to be generous. I'm challenging you this week to do something really different. If you're married or when you get married, I want to challenge you to have the best sex life that you can have because it was God who laid it out and created it for us. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christ follower, maybe as a husband or as a wife, you do need to repent of where you've been unfaithful or unfaithful in your mind and your heart or, or maybe where you have not been the, the person sexually you need to be to your spouse. You're here today and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian. Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe that you're God's son. And that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I ask you today to save me. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand. And when we do, I want to challenge you to respond to Christ today. Maybe this morning you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come today? Would you come and settle out and make peace with God? Maybe you're here this morning and you'd like to join the church. One way you can join. When we stand, you can come and talk to a minister. We'll help you do that. We would love for you to be a part of us. Christian, maybe today where you're standing, maybe at the altar, maybe with a minister, again, maybe just where you're standing, you need to ask God's forgiveness. And you need to make a fresh commitment to God. And if you're married to your spouse or to God's standards for your life. Let's stand as the Lord leads you. You respond to him this morning. We'll be waiting on you.